If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gamers, non-gamers, and those interested in joining the industry, welcome to Game Dev Unchained, the number one lifestyle podcast of video game developers. I am your host, Larry Charles. I've got a special guest co-host who has bought a brand new microphone, so his audio quality is going to be superb this week, Mr. Brandon Fail. How are you guys doing? I told you guys our uh, quality is going to get better every week. And with us today, we have the extraordinary talents of Tav Shande, the AAA-level environment artist who has come here today to tell us what it's like to be an environment artist and also application developer on the side who has reached 1 million downloads of success. How are you doing there, Mr. Shande? I'm doing great. Thanks for that intro, by the way. Great. Of course. <laughs> I saw that the, uh, the Venmo money reached my account, so I knew that I had to, had to step it up a little bit this week. And also, just in case all you listeners out there, we have a very special guest who's helping us do our quality assurance testing on our podcast. Brandon Pham's son is here with us today. So in case you hear somebody asking to use the bathroom or want some chips, please don't be alarmed. <laughs> that is my son, yes. All right. So Brandon, I'll let you take it away with the first interview question. So Tev, uh, just a little background. Uh, how many years have you been in the industry? Uh, going on 13, I believe. Yeah, wow. <laughs> gone by fast that's 13 you, years you're you're a trooper man you're you're the og guy then <laughs> you've seen all the console transitions yeah. yeah it goes it goes by quick i mean especially now that uh game dev cycles are becoming longer it's like three years five years for a title on in some companies but yeah yeah and uh the, you know larry kind of mentioned it in those 13 years you worked at companies like crytech you worked at companies like ea on dead space sledgehammer currently uh, how did you get started? Like, what, what was your inspiration to get in the industry? Oh, so, um, yeah, let me, I can talk about that. My professional kind of background and path that I took to get into the game industry was, uh, I went to an art school, the SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. Hey, yo. And, <laughs> and uh, great school and met a lot of great guys. And the last, my last year there, they started this game uh, development focus. Uh, it was pretty new before that. It was all computer art based on sending a lot of students to Pixar and doing like 3D animation. Right. Uh, but I took the game class and then graduated, took a break for a while, and then a friend hit me up and said, hey, uh, I'm working over here in Monterey. Uh, I could send your reel to the art director. You know, I think you'd be a good fit here. And this was at a company called um, America's Army. It was actually for the Army, the Department of Defense, making a first-person shooter with Unreal. Um, that, you know, would help people figure out how it's like to be in the army. And, you know, it was, it was a fun project. So I sent my stuff out. They flew me out to Monterey and, you know, gave me a job offer. And I was there within like two weeks because I was ready. I was like, oh, this is yeah. my foot in, you know. And from that point on, worked there for uh, a few years and then moved to uh, Redwood Shores to EA to start on uh, a James Bond title because I loved I, – I loved – Goldeneye when I was, you know, oh, yeah. in school, in high school, I played so much 
Goldeneye, you know, 007. If it wasn't for Goldeneye, a lot of us wouldn't be here. To- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was so I was like, yeah, I jumped on the chance to to work on a, a Bond title. And that's kind of my first console title that I worked on. And yeah, from from that point on, just worked worked there until the last project I worked on was Dead Space and took a break for a while. And after that's when I got into apps and then did that for a while, then went to Germany and worked at Crytek. And then after working there for a while, <laughs> ended up uh, coming back to the Bay Area, missed the California sun and came to work on Call of Duty at uh, SHG Sledgehammer. Nice. Shout out to Sledgehammer. Good folks over there. So my question for you is, knowing that you wanted to be a you know environment artist and, and taking that first shot, like, you know what, I'm going to do this, right? What was it like when you got that first big gig working on GoldenEye, a title, like achieving that goal? Like, what was that experience like? Oh, uh, working on uh, the first Bond game. Uh, the first, first Bond game. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I was, I was super excited. I remember I was in Monterey at the time and... I, I just started looking up everything I could find on what project they're working on or kind of magazine articles about the project uh, to see what kind of game it would be. Would it be a first-person shooter, a third-person shooter? Um, and at the time, I had the option of working on... Um, they were making a Godfather game, which was kind of this open-world thing, and that was exciting. And so I had the choice between that, Godfather, and... Um, from Russia with Love, and I uh, went down there, interviewed with both teams, and ended up going with the, uh, you know, the James Bond game because I like the team so much, and also just the nostalgia from playing 007 right. and N64 yeah. was just, it was great. Um, so yeah, it was, I was ecstatic and just really ready to get in there, and a little bit nervous as well because EA was a big company. I, I had visit there visited once before. And just kind of imagining what it would be like to be working at headquarters, uh, I was just super excited, just ready to go. And yeah. I didn't want to—I didn't want to mess up. <laughs> you know, that was yeah. the thing. I was like, I want to get my best foot forward, and and I was excited. Yeah, Redwood Shores has like one of the most beautiful campus for developers. They have like five different teams uh, working simultaneously on that campus. So I mean, their headquarters are amazing. So I can see—I can see the glory. I can see the. <laughs> Temptation. Um, so, you were briefly talking about going through these companies. How many years in did you start deciding, or you know, looking at side projects, or have you always been uh, tampering with side projects ever since? Oh, you started? yeah, it was just ever since I can remember. Since I was a kid, you know, I've always worked on stuff. And then when I got a job, I mean, I loved doing what I was doing, but in my free time. I just like figuring how stuff how stuff works. And in college, I, I kind of did a lot of film film classes, and I, I enjoy film. And I probably would have gone into film had it not been me, you know, going towards the game path. Right. Uh, but so I, I shot a lot of short films on the side, and so and that w- those were my side projects back then. Was mainly like doing doing short films, and those evolved into just different things that I felt like I could I could do and you know while I was working and have not have it affect kind of what I was working for and also kind of making me a better you know artist in general so it it started out 
yeah, I've always had side projects and started out kind of with film and then evolved into just different avenues where, you know, I felt like I could creatively express myself or find something cool and new to, to do. Right. Um, so, like, when when exactly did you start taking the app avenue? Uh, like, when did you decide to start making apps uh, while you were working and taking that break? Like, what year was that? Oh, so yeah, that that was around. So right after Dead Space, right. uh, we had the we had the ship party, and we were in SF. Um, after that, I got in my car and drove across country. Wow! Uh, and ended up on the East Coast in Atlanta. I'm, I'm that's where I was born, um, so I have family there, and went to go visit them and just take a break from the game industry industry for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I was a little bit kind of burnt out by AAA titles and just kind of the 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 um, kind of you're the, the cog in the machine and you have this very specialized thing that you do and I wanted to kind of figure out you know other things and do other things and so I decided to take a break my goal was to just create art uh, work on anything that I felt like I wanted to work on right and mainly just a way to kind of purge and refresh and so during that time, uh, I felt like it was it was great. I traveled a lot, and um, I was able to kind of relax and just try different things and experiment. And one of those things I wanted to do was I wanted to create an app. That was at the about the time when the iPhone first came out, and I had heard about apps and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, I I want to make one. I don't know how, but I'll figure it out. So that's when it started. So that's my kid uh, that we were mentioning before. <laughs> so every 10 minutes, he might have to go to the bathroom. So, so thank you, listeners, for understanding. Uh, so as you were making these apps, like, did you, did you? of course, I'm, I'm guessing that you were, like, talking to EA and you're like, hey, I need a month off. Was that an option to come back and everything? Or, or was it just straight up, like, I need a good month off? Oh, it was definitely, well, things ended on uh, good terms, but it was... I really didn't have a plan of coming back, right. so I never really asked them. I just kind of waited till the project was over because I really enjoyed working on Dead Space. Right. And the team was amazing, and uh, it was a lot of you know great creative control and everything. So I wait. I wanted to wait till after that project was done, and then I felt like it was the timing was great. Um, I I feel like if I wanted to go back to EA, then it was something that I could have done easily and. You know they would have welcomed me back, but I wanted to take that time without having this kind of uh, limited time time schedule that was counting down for me going back somewhere. It was actually really, uh, you know, I, I felt really free because I didn't have that schedule. I was just like an indefinite amount of time I could take my time doing anything <laughs> I wanted, right? So. Uh, that allowed me to kind of think a little bit more freely. I right. feel like. So, so yeah, it was. I I didn't plan on going back, um, and uh, by the time I decided that, oh yeah, I want to get back in the game industry, I kind of just made a top ten list of where I wanted to go in the in the industry, and uh, ended up in Europe. And wow. Um, and while I was in Europe, I that's at at the same time I started really kicking up my production of making iPhone apps on the side. So, wow. 
<laughs> that's crazy, man. Like we were talking about, like a lot of one of the biggest things with artists is they always wanted to travel. You always have that traveling bug within you, especially. Uh, you know, we graduate from college and we usually jump right in uh, into the the workforce, and that's like an industry wide fact. And uh, to see to actually do it, and just one day deciding to do it and carrying through with it, I, I'm guessing this is what led to you doing your apps and your job over at Crytek in Europe. Yeah. Uh, so, at the time, uh, I had been off. I had not. I had been off of work for about eight months, and I had done a new portfolio. I had done a bunch of ZBrush stuff, and. I f- and I had made an app that started getting a lot of press from New York Times to Cosmo magazine to Dang. a lot of places. So I felt like, okay, I, I have, I've done all that. So, and then also I was looking at my bank account and I was like, mm, how am I going to eat? <laughs> so, you know, I was like, it's time to get a job. Uh, kind of, I had burnt through my, whatever I had saved up. And so I, yeah, I, I looked at kind of what was next and I thought that, you know, I always wanted to live in Europe. I, I had grown up moving around. I lived in West Africa, the Middle East, for a while. And, yeah, and cool. I visited Europe a few times but, and fallen in love with, with France. So initially, I, I wanted to go. I, I, I fell in love with Paris when I went for the first time when I was a kid. And I wanted to go and try living there and see, like, if it would live up to my kind of my dreams. And so... I looked at some comp- I looked at a company there, but they weren't hiring at the time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, on that top ten list, I made at the, at the top was uh, or very close to the top was uh, Crytek. And I just applied through their online uh, portal, and I got a call back, and they flew me out there. And next thing I know, they're like, "Yo, when can you start?" And it was great. They're they're really big fans of Dead Space too, so I think that really helped. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So, like, let's backtrack to your app development. So, was that idea cooking in your head while you were over at EA? And that's one of your decisions uh, when you felt it was ready to go, is when you started to uh, just traveling and, and doing your apps? Or was it something that came up while you were traveling? So, I feel like a lot of kind of creative avenues are are always kind of floating around in in my head or in just in creative heads. But... It's not until a certain kind of aha moment that you kind of put all those things together and and you can then say, oh, wow, I could make this, you know, based on kind of these thoughts that you might have written down in a, in a notebook or a sketchbook. Um, but what really, I think, allowed that to happen was having that free time to think when I was taking that eight months off. And um, that really sparked the idea of, my first app, which was called Vanity, which was the world's first face rating app, mm-hmm. uh, and what it Wait, did. I'm sorry, you made Vanity? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I feel like I'm talking to app royalty right now. <laughs> that's kind of cool, man. <laughs> yeah, that Holy was, shit! That was a while ago. That was yeah. That was yeah. That was my first app, and it was what a home run. Oh, it was it was a learning experience. It was it was really fun and just rewarding. I felt like I was learning something, and at the same time, after it was out, there was all this press, so it kind of validated my, I guess, idea. I felt like that it was a good idea. But most of all, I was just really fascinated with the golden ratio yeah. and how that affects just from art to everything, right? Like, you know, in nature, it's a, 
a number that repeats a lot. And so I, I got, I became fascinated with this number and then all of a sudden, so what happened, I was drawing a bunch of uh, sketches of faces and drawing about like, you know, hundred faces, just freehand. And I looked at them and noticed that some of them didn't look that great. Some of them looked attractive to like as an attractive face. And I was wondering what is, what is it about the placement of, you know, these lines that makes this face look attractive versus the other face. And so then, you know, I, I looked into the golden ratio and this beauty mask and, and said, you know what, maybe I'll just create an app that I can take a picture of uh, the face that I make and it'll tell me like, okay, this face is an attractive face. The, the uh, proportions and the, the placement of features are correct or ideal. Uh, so that was kind of what spawned making vanity, and that was that was my first app. That's amazing. So that process from from quitting your 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 triple A job and getting those eight hours back, like it's amazing what we can do with our eight hours. Oh yeah. When we start thinking about it, and then uh, of getting to the point where you should like how what, how long was that process from start to finish? Would you say? Uh, so <clears throat> so leaving EA, and then I. I I believe I took three months to just travel and went went everywhere, and that was uh, till this day. I think it was one of the best decisions I made uh, just for my life, and then also career-wise, it, I felt like um, I just learned so much during that time. Just having that free time to analyze everything and not have to worry about oh, I got to go to this meeting, I got to go to work in the morning, I got to sit in traffic. It was just like accepting what I saw daily and trying to turn that into something creative and and learn and so and the time that it took from i guess that uh, it took about you know three months of traveling and i was working on learning kind of uh high-res modeling and zbrush stuff and built some you know built a lot of that out worked on some characters vehicles stuff that i i used to do a lot more of before um uh, dead space and uh, it took about eight months, um, uh, but what I, I guess it took more like six months, I would say, before I started working on on uh, the apps. Right. Uh, but it was more like me just trying to get all these things out of my system and uh, making the app just happen to come about after I had made some, you know, 3D sculpts and some portfolio pieces that I was happy with. Yeah, you, you were creatively inspired. To do to do uh, vanity, like the greatest. Well, let me thing, go, oh, ahead, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Brandon. I'm the, sorry. I mean, you touched on a hundred point that was really interesting. Like, um, like I think Larry mentioned this. Like, always going on these little trips and for yourself, uh, peppered throughout the year to kind of rent out that life that you want to kind of see where you want to be to uh, be retrospective. I feel like the eight hour corporate life is designed so that you don't have that free time to really think about where where do I want to go. And it's kind of crowded up in that in that space. So, it sounds like you got inspired after you took that you know great decision to to really stop doing what you've been trained to do, and and spent like those other six months just getting out of your system. And finally, from that, you were able to to be well rested and just create something out of passion. Like, yeah, oh, I, I agree. I, I think also it's it becomes sort of a forcing function where people get comfortable. You know, you get your paycheck you're paying your rent and it's working out, you know, but if you don't have that money coming in, you then become, you're kind of forced to figure out how you're going to make this money. So yeah. 
you're breaking uh, it, that cycle, yeah. Yeah, so it, and especially if you have this kind of limited time because you know, oh, at this point of time, I'll have absolutely no money. You're kind of forced to say, okay, I'm going to use this time wisely <laughs> and I'm going to kind of look for different things that, okay, I, I want to learn how to do this, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle that. And, and yeah, I mean, if not, it's kind of just like, okay, you get another paycheck, you work to another paycheck, you work paycheck to paycheck, and that's kind of your focus, not, hey, let me take this time off and work on stuff I've always wanted to work on, which will eventually make you a better artist, which will make you a better employee, you know. <laughs> so I, I don't think the system is currently designed to really let people figure out kind of what they want to do and what they might be really good at. You know, it's just designed to say, hey, you've been doing this, kind of do this one thing and yeah, specialize yeah. in this for, for eight hours and then come back the next day and do the same thing. I almost feel like your first paychecks are paying you just enough to survive if you keep getting paychecks. And then as you get better, you get paid just enough to not leave, right? Like, right. Yeah. we just need to beat the competitors and pay you that much. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly how it is. And in the Bay Area, it's a little tough because it's super expensive here. So, um, it's, I mean, I've seen other companies now starting to, you know, some of the big companies are like, I feel like Facebook, Google, Apple, are doing things where they're allowing their employees to work on side projects at work at a percentage, you know, experimenting with that. Because, what is that? What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that has really, I, I feel like, spawned a lot of interesting projects, which the companies eventually, you know, they own that because you're working on it at work. Right. Uh, and you, you get these passion projects that people are, are willing to work you know, day in, day out and not sleep on because they're super passionate about it. It's right. not something that someone's saying, hey, could you go, you know, work on this collision that you don't really care about, but it just needs to be done. It's like, what are you really passionate about? Work on it while you're at work. We'll pay you to work on it. And if it's something amazing, then, hey, we'll, you know, put it out to the world. Right. And that's ideally, you know, that's, that's a very ideal scenario. And that, sure, yeah. you know, not all companies can get away with that. And are yeah. not all companies are kind of programmed to think that way. They Financially could. speaking, that's a big t that's a big step, right? Like, yeah. hey, we're going to let two hundred to three hundred or even more employees w take eight hours and just do whatever they want, right? Like, when you think about the dollar value of that, that's a lot. It is, but okay. I'm sure that they get like tenfold back in happiness and loyalty from that employee. That dollar value and you know, one out of 10 may come up with, you know, something that's actually profitable, you yeah. know, for that company. Yeah, I, I feel like it's hard for them to put that in some kind of Excel spreadsheet and say, hey, look, this is the return we got on happiness. And, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, so, you know, if that was some way that they could quantify that, I, I believe they would try that more. But it's, it's kind of one of those things you just have to see, try it and see if it works. And you then start to notice, you know, employees the the turnover rate is lower and people aren't leaving and people are excited and really cool projects are, are coming about you know so yeah it's it's the macro value that that it affects not the micro you know it's like you can't say oh we did this one thing so has happiness gone up or down but it's like no just like you said to have like hey look our turnover ratio is a lot lower people are recommending more people to work here you know people aren't you know talking about grievances as much like oh look the comment box only has two comments in it this month last month it had eight you know like all of these are are things that can help reinforce the idea that this is successful you know 
Yeah. I don't know, but and no, that well, that reminds me of so working at Crytek in Germany. I I really that place is full of amazing people, amazing artists. Just I was blown away by just the talent there. It was it was so amazing, and I was also blown away by some of the practices there, um, which really, you know, gave gave rise to a lot of uh, creative. Uh, projects coming up. They they had this thing where they wanted to do I think eighty. It was called eighty twenty time I believe. Where I think twenty percent of the time you worked on your own project, uh, and that was either that that took effect. Uh, but then the next week it was crunch, so we always we didn't uh-huh. yeah, we didn't get yeah. to do it. But it was I really admired that they were willing to talk about trying it because they saw the value. And that company was was very much like if you want to accomplish something if you want to you see some technique some something that has inspired you from another game and you think that we should be able to do this or have this tech just tell an engineer an engineer will put it in the build even if it breaks the build they will put it in and i remember the build being broken a lot but we got so much so much cool tech back from from just having that freedom of saying oh i want to try this reveal mask technique of you know painting decals Oh, we don't have that in the engine. Oh, don't worry. This afternoon, I'll put it in. And wow. so that was that was one thing about that company. I, I think that they've been able to, you know, in the past, keep a lot of their talent there because uh, they had that freedom to do so. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just incredible. It's very progressive. You're, you're kind of putting the employee first, and uh, if anything, if you're trying to manage 200 people, uh, you know, it's just a great way to to do it. Oh. Like I said again, my kid needs to pee every ten minutes, so he'll whisper, "I need to pee once in a while." So I hope you guys don't mind that. <laughs> so, like going back to to uh, to vanity, like you're coming at it as a designer. Are you doing some of the programming as well? Oh well, very very super basic programming. I mean, my programming skills. I took a, a programming class in art school, which was it was more visual graphics programming, and. I learned web programming, but my, my programming skills are probably just really boiled down to control C, control V. Right. <laughs> like looking at, um, you know, Stack Overflow and just searching for the answer online and then trying it out. But so I ended up uh, finding, you know, I, I know, okay, I'm an artist. I can handle all the art. Um, I can do the design. And I feel like I can, tr- I can do everything that I love to do and I want to do. But when it came down to code, I realized, you know, I could try to learn this, but it makes more sense to hire somebody who's excited as doing, as doing the code as I am doing the art and design and letting them do their thing because they'll be way more efficient at it and it'll be a faster turnaround and I won't have to sit there and bang my head against the wall and say, hey, why isn't this working? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the great things that I've noticed with successful entrepreneurs is that they're go-getters, right? They don't let any... Someone who wants to make an app might look at it as like, I don't know the code, so therefore I can't do the app. But you looked at it as like, yeah, I can learn a little bit just to understand the, the, the beginning stages of making an app, but I can. there's a lot of people out there that I can outsource and, and just get in contact and just get things going, like just being motivating yourself to, to see the project making progress. So, uh, any any roadblocks where you felt like during your first app development that you felt like um, it was a little tougher than you thought it would be? 
Oh, yeah, it was, wow, it was leaps and bounds and magnitudes tougher than I, I thought it was, would be. But at the same time, I was, you know, expecting the worst and hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. And it ended up uh, being where the first uh, project, Vanity, that I, I started uh, was the code was outsourced to somebody in Pakistan, I believe. Right. And uh, the person in Pakistan outsourced the code to a, <laughs> an, an, a high school individual in uh, Vietnam. Right. Oh, my so God. The, one of the biggest hurdles was the whole language barrier and the time frame where I was in the United States and I had to worry about two different time zones and trying to communicate through email. Actually, until, I mean, I'd been working on apps for three years and I had never talked to any of the developers actually on the phone yeah. it was all through email because i like to keep it that way because you have it in writing right and you can reference it Very versus smart. a phone call where you're just like oh, what i forgot what you said <laughs> you know how, uh, how did you find the the pakistani contact so i i had been reading this book uh by tim ferris called the four hour work week and very that good book very good book that opened my eyes to just being able to outsource your life you know the things that you don't have time to do outsource it <laughs> and you can find uh, people to do it. So I went and looked for uh, web portals that allowed you to find a developer. And the first place I, I ended up was at a place, a company called Elance. And uh, yeah. they've changed their name now. Um, but yeah, that's, and then I, I found the, I found my engineer through Elance initially. So how did you feel actually? Cause this is, probably a common practice but how did you feel when you found out that the person you hired had hired someone else to actually do the work that you thought that they were going to do oh i was like uh, good play you know <laughs> i i can't hate on you for you know yeah. trying to you know trying to outsource it and i mean make most of the profit but then not have to do the work you know it makes sense because then he can be the point man and he can have multiple projects running and yeah. just kind of source them out i was like that's fine i just want the work to be done yeah. to a high quality level. I don't care how you get it done. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I felt like, let me just talk directly to the person who's actually doing the code because it'll be way more efficient than it going through you and then you having to email him. So at the end, we ended up just communicating back and forth. Um, yeah. So. so how did you celebrate the success of your first app and you're like, oh, yeah, did you, did you have any special routines? Like, I always buy, you know, this very expensive bottle of wine or I... You know, let's talk about something fun. How do you celebrate your achievements in apps? Yeah. Oh, so uh, it's it's funny. So I have I, I always try not to celebrate before I'm in the end zone. You know, like so. Of course. <laughs> so I want to I want to score the touchdown and then and then celebrate. So I have these kind of long term goals, right? And if mm-hmm. I hit those long term goals, then I do something really kind of really big for myself. That. Okay. Uh, like maybe something I've always wanted to do or uh, a specific sports car that I've always wanted. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm there. I'm there. And so like one of the things I told myself, which was I had wanted this uh, car for a long time in a, it was Audi, an Audi R8. And I just admire the, you know, I'm not big into like super flashy things or very materialistic, but I admire the, you know, construction of this car as like a, a perfect mixed between form and function. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I, I had told myself when I first started, you know, and, and started seeing the downloads, 
I was thinking, wow, you know, a million downloads, that's quite a milestone. So when I reached that point, I wanted to do something special for myself and something that I've always wanted to do because I feel like, you know, you only have one life to mm-hmm. live. So you might as well do the things you've always wanted to do while you still can enjoy them. You know? Yeah. So I hit a million downloads and, and then I really started thinking about, you know what, I can actually get this, this car that I want to or you know, take this trip that I want to, or just go on spontaneous trips to, you know, overseas. And it was, I I became a little bit uh, less, you know, afraid to kind of just plunge into doing the things I wanted to do. And that was, uh, you know, me telling myself at an early point, okay, I'm going to sit down, you know, and do this. But you also have to celebrate your wins, you know. Yeah, right. And that you had, this isn't your first rodeo, you've, you've done that plunge where you kind of abandoned a pretty steady job just to, you know, take a chance and invest in yourself. And you've been down that road where you, uh, you had to figure things out and you came out on top, like you figured it out and you trust in yourself and your ability to, to always make money in one way or another, like just a little refresher for all those listeners that don't know, like how many times have you celebrated since vanity? How many apps (laughs) have you made? Uh, Well, I, wow. It's how many R8s do you own? (laughs) That's, that's the question he's trying to ask. (laughs) Oh, wow. Can I have one of them? (laughs) It's been, it's interesting because uh, for the most part, I don't really have a lot of time to celebrate. I I feel like I don't take a lot of time to celebrate unless it's a big milestone uh, uh, because I'm always, looking at what's wrong with the product or the app or what I made or how can I improve it or how can I keep users coming back and keep them, you know, it's like they say you want to have someone using your app as many times as they brush your teeth in a day, you know, something that becomes a habit that they do, you know, in the morning and before they go to bed at night, right? And then you can grow a huge user base and and you know that if you if people keep coming back to your app, right, and they'll tell their friends and it'll spread. So I guess I ended up having 14, I think I have 14 or, yeah, 14 apps in the app store. 14 apps. Uh, over that, over the course of six years now. Wow. That's amazing, and, dude. Uh, it's, it was all just experimenting and trying to figure out what, you know, what I want to do next. And if you look at all the apps, I've made they kind of go everywhere. I mean, I've made like work time, uh, work life balance apps. I made a matchmaking app for Facebook. Uh, some, some, uh, you know, the vanity app, which was like the the face rating app, and then a shopping app. Um, so it's just kind of like sitting down to brainstorm what what avenue I want to go to next, or what I'm interested in, and and just going ahead and doing it really. So do you feel like now in your career as an app developer, you know, you have 14 apps. I would say you have a lot of experience doing this. Do you feel like any part of this job as an app developer is formulaic? Do you feel like, oh, and I've done it 14 times. I know that these 10 things will make an app successful. Or do you still find yourself possibly rediscovering new strategies or new ideas that just surprise you and become effective or not effective? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, uh, I feel like it's, there are things that can be formulaic, but for only a, a certain period of time because uh, the space evolves so fast mm-hmm. that anyone who's claiming that, oh, I have the secret to marketing your app uh, and this is what you need to do, uh, that might be what you need to do for that moment in time, but give it three weeks, four weeks, give it a month, and it's changed, right? 
So I, I found myself finding out things that worked and then just having to realize that these things will evolve and change and, you know, certain things like, I mean, I, I find like I have kind of rituals or things that I do to prepare, like starting a new app, whether it's, okay, I need to sit down and just brainstorm and allow myself to just freely associate and, and come up with cool ideas, no matter how crazy they may seem at first, just list them all, right? And mm -hmm. that becomes, sometimes I'm like, okay, it's brainstorming time now, right? And that's, that's can be seen as formulaic, but it's something that is exciting to do. So it's not, it's not such a bad formula to follow. But there, there are places like app, especially app marketing, where I was like, okay, I think I've, I think I've discovered the secret to, you know, getting my app downloaded, you know, 20,000 times a day. Uh, whether it's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, add uh, different languages to it, or I'm going to uh, tweak the keywords. So when people search like uh, app SEO, you know, search engine optimization, so your app shows up when people search for uh, specific things, right? Like, I feel like I've learned lessons in each and, and things I, I've seen what works really well. But I also know that it could change really fast. The, mo mm -hmm. it's, the, the mobile space is really fluid and fast and very, you know, it's like a, like a speedboat. Yeah. <laughs> it's volatile. Yeah. yeah. So like okay. going through these rituals, you're sitting down, you go, you're brainstorming, uh, something like your, your first project. Like the biggest roadblock I would see as an app developer going into it would be like, how do I stand out? Uh, from one out of a million, like what was your marketing strategy, or did you just want to create a good app and worry about that later, or did you have a certain strategy in mind? Well, yeah, since it was since I was a kind of lone wolf doing this, it was just me really designing it and releasing it. I could only really worry about so many things at once, and I'd be like, oh, when mark when it comes time to worry about marketing, or when it comes time where I can actually work on marketing, then I can worry about it. So. Whereas I feel like if I had somebody who that was their whole kind of job uh, to do, they could have done that, you know, at an earlier time. Uh, and I think it needs to be done at an earlier time. But yeah, I, I usually since it, it was just me at this time, it was OK. I now I'm worried about marketing and and that's what I'm worried about and focused on perfecting now. And um, there's not really one thing I can say that has really been like the, oh, the, the kind of silver bullet to marketing, except for um, uh, there's this whole concept of making a purple cow, which is if you were driving down the street and you saw a cow that was purple on the side of the road, mm. you would tell your friends. Right. And mm. so it was making something that was remarkable that would make people tell their friends or show their friends this app. And so for a long time, that was what all my apps had in common was something that would mark because I couldn't afford marketing right at the, at the time when I first started. And so I was my whole goal was make something that markets itself. Mm -hmm. So make something that the media would love to write a headline on something like vanity that that thing marketed itself because, you know, I remember one of the first headlines was, oh, your iPhone calls you ugly now, mm -hmm. you know, nice. and. There was a, and I, I noticed, um, at least when I first started that, and it's still true even currently, is that the media loves headlines. Like they mm -hmm. love things that grab your attention. 
So if your app, you know, helps them out with writing a headline that's going to grab a bunch of clicks or eye, eyeballs, you know, to, to read their articles, then they'll be happy to do it. So I did that for a while, and I, then I started kind of wanting to make stuff that wasn't just attention-grabbing, but it had some more meaning behind it and was very useful. So I've now kind of more transitioned into, instead of making things that were, hey, look at this, it's, you know, this purple cow. It's like, okay, this is a purple cow that's, you know, useful it's useful (laughs) not only is it a purple cow but it provides very delicious milk (laughs) yeah yeah exactly very nutritious milk too exactly awesome let me ask you this man about apps do you have an app that you say in the brainstorm phase you're like oh man you know what i don't really think this app is going to do great and you put it out and it's like wow this app is doing way better than i thought and then the counter to that did you have an app where you're like man this is just gonna go gangbusters and then you put it out, and it's like, ah, oh, it didn't do as well as I expected. Do you have a, you know, like a, a biggest high and a biggest low for apps that kind of surprised you? Oh yeah, I have. Yeah, that's a good question. I got perfect, uh, perfect examples of those two things, incidences where uh, I, well, I'll, I'll start out with what was kind of my biggest letdown, mm-hmm. and kind of why I feel it was it didn't work out, and you know what I learned from it really. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was this, uh, was it the, it was the second app I ever, my, my second app ever. And I had just started at, at Crytek in Germany at the, at the game company there. I noticed, you know, the industry just has this problem with crunch, you know, uh, working overtime, not paying people for their overtime work and thinking that that's okay, you know? Uh-huh. And so I was really passionate, maybe a little bit too passionate about solving this issue and so i decided to make an app called crunch time still in the app store but i was just so dedicated into to kind of having people see a visual representation of how much time they're spending at work versus living their life or just having a balance so and so that's i decided to bite that off right and i kind of tackle that because it was something that was really personal to me Mm -hmm. and I was I, I kind of had my head down in this app so far that I didn't really I wasn't able to kind of look up and see the horizon of where this where this thing was heading. And so all I wanted to do was kind of get this app out and show the man that they were they were doing us wrong, right? And right. Yeah. and having having everyone come together with this app and say, Okay, we're gonna kind of solve this and take take more time off and take more vacations and yeah. just not stay in the office so much. And uh, I, re- I released the, the app, and after it was released, I realized, you know what, the way I had designed it, it wasn't really fun to track how much time you were spending in a place that you really didn't want to be spending that much time in, right? right. Just the, u- the user flow was, was not fun. I was just so focused on getting this thing out because it, so, it was so personal for me, and I, I failed to see the design. So I, I released it, and it, it ended up on Apple's what's hot now wow that's great Uh, when it first came out and i was super excited i was like wow this thing is it's gonna do well but then i think the more people started using it the more they realized that it felt like work it felt like work (laughs) yeah and i should have probably done a lot more automated things and i just it was an app that is a was for a good cause but i just wasn't ready to make it at the time okay and i remember an engineer in crytech came up to me the day i launched it I put it on their spam list at work and everyone downloaded it, of course, and at work. 
And an engineer came up to me and said, oh, um, he was trying to log in and it was asking him for like some personal information, like his email address and uh, password. But I wasn't asking for his email password. I was asking for him to create a password for this account he was making. And he just looks at me and says, oh, delete. And he deletes the app in front of me. What? And I was just like, wow, that's. That's rough. But at that point, it's the point I realized. <laughs> what? what? Is he new to the concept of signing no, he's like, things? I'm going to show this guy. <laughs> well, Watch. yeah, there was, it, I, I feel like in, when I was in Germany, there was, uh, it was, they were very sensitive to personal information. As you oh, can see, the whole Google uh, being, well, they have to, for Google Maps, you, you can request your whole company to be blurred on the map. Like, because, you know, there's, there's just this whole, you know, sensitivity towards giving out personal information. And he thought that I was asking for his personal password. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, but it was, you know, I feel like it was the way the app was designed. It seemed like it was asking for your, your email's password, not mm. to create a password. But anyway, so at that point, I realized the app was really flawed. And uh, I had just been worried about releasing it, not really worried about keeping the app going and making it fun to use. And and so I, I just kind of abandoned that app and said, this is a learning experience. I'll let people download it. I'll keep the servers up if people still want to use it and enjoy it. But I'm not going to ever update this app. <laughs> right. Uh, well, it was a learning experience. And it was like a kind of like a personal message uh, to, to how the industry is with Crunch. And I think in that way, you were very successful. I mean, you made it, you completed it, and you said what you wanted to say. Yeah, it's something I think I will in the future having kind of more insight on stuff and just learning from it. If I kind of know what I need now to make something that like that, I guess, and have it be, you know, more successful and just easier to use and more of a joy to use than a reminder of the pain. <laughs> oh man. And on the opposite side. Uh, so I had this exercise speaking of kind of app rituals and stuff. So I had this exercise where I, I decided that kind of just to put myself in the hot seat, I was going to try to create something like 50 apps in like, you know, like 80 days or something like that. And using creating one game engine or one engine and modifying the art. I was just mm -hmm. and not having to go through a, an engineer because I had the engine already set up. I was just going to make um, uh, make all these apps and just and just kind of brainstorm and see what happens, right? Because I feel like the best ideas sometimes come out when you're just spitballing. And, and so uh, I initially had <laughs> created this app that Apple did not like at oh, all. Apple did not like? Yeah, it was very, it was a little too risque for, for Apple. Uh, it was called O-Face. O-Face. <laughs> oh and so it's, you take a picture of somebody's face yeah. and it generates, you know, their face into what the person could possibly look like you know when they were yeah, having at the top yeah at the top at the <laughs> yeah and so and so I, awesome, yeah. I submitted it to apple because i was like okay i'm gonna make something that's really gonna stand out and the the yeah. media is gonna just grab you know yeah and so uh i made this app and the apple was just like no sorry we can't we can't put this on on the app you're gonna have to but apple is really helpful in telling you where you need to improve or what you need to change to make yeah. it so they accept it so they were just like yeah, you see how wide the mouth is right now? That's a little bit too suggestive. So let's kind of bring that in a little bit. And so I was like, okay, that's fine. And so I tried that and it just started, the face just started looking really strange. Right. 
And I also changed, I ended up changing the name. Instead of canning the app, I changed the name to Roller Coaster Snap. So it's kind of like you're going over a roller coaster. Right, and right, right, right. you know the photos you take at the theme parks where Very smart. you're going down <laughs> the, the drop. And so it ended up being that and with slightly tweaked facial expressions. And anyway, so I made this engine that kind of was able to modify face, a picture of a face. Uh, and so then I just started making different, different, uh, different apps based on that engine, and one of them was oh, uh, called Cryface. Make you take a picture of somebody and make make them look like they're bawling or crying, and uh, and then I ended up, you know, not thinking that any of the, these ideas were going to be kind of take off and be crazy successes, but I ended up uh, using that same engine and just making two apps that I made in three days, nice. uh, mm-hmm. and one was called. Uh, uh, it was there were, there were makeup apps, uh, and so what happens is you take a picture of your face and you're able to you're able to preview what the face would look like with cat eye makeup or or uh, shadow eye shadow on, and so stuff that I was just like, okay, I'm gonna try this. Not like I know anything about wearing makeup at all, yeah, so yeah. Uh, I just wanted to try it, see you know what it would do. But it ended up, and then I also found a new uh, ad revenue stream that I had never tried before that I stuck into that app, which was Chartboost. Um, before, I was using kind of banner ads, and they were doing okay, but not really that great. And so I stuck Chartboost in there and made these apps free, and they just, they took off. Um, uh, they were, uh, yeah, they, they just, they, they took off with thousands and thousands of downloads every day and i i was like Did these many people have iphones that are downloading <laughs> these things every day right and and then the revenue came in from the from the ads and i was just like wow this i would have never expected wow. this to to take off like and then i started realizing there's such a huge niche for makeup like you go on youtube and there's so many makeup tutorials right. and, and it's it generates a lot of money and it's very helpful for people who want to learn kind of new ways to do makeup so yeah. So then I, I decided, okay, I was going to, now that I saw that there's a demand for that, I'm going to create a new kind of <clears throat> standalone app that's way more polished and, and uh, way more robust for doing kind of selfie touch, touch-ups and makeup and hair and all that stuff. Yeah, I just love how you came about it with just free-form creative thinking and not really money driven behind behind the app and it just turned out to be a success because it was just something that was on the surface that everybody wanted like you, you didn't really try to engineer it and uh, that's great that's a great that's a great yeah. way to go about it yeah and i think mo- most of the apps that i've had that have been successful have been kind of up the same avenue where it was something that i was just really kind of brainstorming or curious about making and i made it and then you know the the people followed because they were interested in the same thing or you know were interested in the product but it wasn't yeah trying to generate something that okay if we do this you know it'll sell or or something like that or I'm I'm gonna make an app that just specifically is about taking money from people like via you know in app purchases or you know buying berries or something like that you know? we were just talking about this today at the bank uh, so we were laughing because Bruce was playing a game on the phone. And in order to play the game, you had to have this specific item. And then all of a sudden, he ran out of items, and it asked him to buy more of the item. 
And I was like, look at this flawed concept right here. I was like, it's a game for kids. Kids don't have credit cards, nor do they have that information that they need to, like, go through the app and, like, buy the specific things and then get back to playing. We're talking, like, you know, like five-year-olds, right? Yeah. A lot of parents will take their phone and give it to the kid and open the game, hoping that that's going to temporarily babysit for them. You know what I mean? So, like, if you're making an app that's making the kid then go back to the parent to get them off of the shopping cart screen, back to the game every two minutes, the parent's going to delete the game and not play it anymore. You know what I mean? Do the Crytek engineer thing. Delete. <laughs> delete. Yeah. I'm going to say that now whenever I delete apps from my phone. Do the yeah, voice I, I think people are learning that now that it's kind of like, you know, what's your motive really? It's Is it to create this great product or is it just to pitch like pennies from kids or their parents and it's really, you know, I, I, I read something that Kanye West tweeted about <laughs> the same thing. You know, he was really, he had some critical things to say about developers who create apps that every five minutes ask you for, <laughs> ask you, for uh, you know, some more berries or coins that you need to purchase. And you're a kid that doesn't have a credit card, right? right. So I, I never really wanted to do that. I did experiment with that just to see kind of what, you know, what that was all about. But it was more like, it wasn't for kids it was for adults but it was i experimented with having a free app that was token and time based where you start off with a certain amount of tokens that you you put into the the app to use it and once those free tokens run out you have to wait 24 hours to get new tokens and uh, or or you could buy kind of unlimited tokens or you could buy seven tokens or something like that for a certain amount of money and i learned for the most part especially for the apps I was making, it just didn't work out because you can't, you know, people see through that. And unless they're really heavily invested into your game already, like hours and hours, and they have characters built up that they really want to spend money on, um, it, it just kind of turns them off from the app and they end up saying, oh, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like the key is we need to get kids credit cards and then <laughs> it's all problem solved. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't hit that pause button yet. Not we'll yet. be right back. Liege is a dark fantasy told in classic JRPG form with a modern tactical twist made by Coda Games. Coming out in 2015. Look for it on Steam, PS4, and Wii U. You can pre-order it today at www.codagames.com. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Larry Charles. We are still here. We're still standing, still strong. The Game Dev Unchained podcast. Of course, we've got Brandon Fam and we've Bruce, Bruce. Fam. <laughs> and we've got Tav. We're all here, ready to bring in the last fifteen minute segment. So, Mr. Tav, Sean, and Mr. Brandon Fam, you guys ready? Yeah, ready. All right, let's do this. First question for hundred points: If I was getting into app development today, what types of things should I be wary of in the market? Uh, can I call a friend? <laughs> All right, let's call a friend. <laughs> um, uh, so, what you should be wary of? Uh, yeah. So, like, uh, do you need me to further explain, or are you you good? No, I, I mean, I there's there are quite a few things to be very wary of. Uh, you got a, a top three? Oh, so top, top three, three you need to overcome. Uh, let's see. Okay, so, well, overcome and watch out for. So, okay. uh, I would say watch out for anyone that's emailing you and trying to market your thing and say, hey, we want to review your app. 
but you know give us a little bit of money for it you know that's oh, that that happens once you release an app you'll get hundreds of emails from people who just look for the latest app that was developed and they say they're going to market your app and they're going to spread it through the industry and get it on blogs and get it on pages that nice. stuff that stuff doesn't work and you it's always usually for a fee too if someone wants to do that for free hey you know go ahead and do that but 99.9% of the time it's for a fee that they have at the bottom in fine print mm-hmm. so watch out for that uh, press releases I think press releases are dead like do not pay anyone to write a press release for you right. and distribute it just write your own and distribute it yourself and put it on your, your web splash page or what because um, I kind of ran into some issues with a few press release companies where I wrote a press re- uh, release and had one of them to distribute it and it ended up, they ended up trying to charge me more than like two months rent for it. So. And not only have I done the work for you. Yeah. yeah. And on top of that, they messed up the press release by um, failing to uh, add the art to it that I supplied, which was a picture of the app. Mm. <laughs> so, and the icon, and none of that. And so anyway, so I'd watch out for that. And uh, biggest thing I would watch out for, uh, I would say number three, I'll say 3A is uh, biting off an idea that's too big, that it's okay. too, too ambitious, that you're just not ready for, especially for your first app. I would say keep it simple and keep it, keep it something that you can finish uh, within a time period because usually your app will take if, uh, at least three times longer than you think it'll take to develop. Okay. And, that's uh, a very good point, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then... Uh, 3B, uh, along those same lines, uh, the, one of the biggest things to work out for, uh, watch out for is if you're working with other people, uh, choose your team wise, uh, wisely. Keep it small and keep it to people who are excited about, just ex- excited about the project as you are about the project. Because a lot of the times you'll get people who are like, yeah, let's do this. And then it comes down to doing it and they're like, you know what? I'm too busy, and uh, I have to do this. I have other stuff that's priority to take care of, which is understandable. But it really, pretty much, will kill a project. Yeah, we had some of that experience firsthand, <laughs> unfortunately. But you know, that's very valid advice. So, like with that, like, uh, what are the biggest uh, things? Like, if I have a great app that I know it's good and I'm ready to go with it. I know there's, you know, marketing in the app store is kind of like catching lightning in a bottle. But what are the sh- like the sure ways that I should take to to get this the word out? All right, so <clears throat> I would say what I've learned from doing these apps, one kind of consistent thing that I learned a little bit later on uh which is it's kind of a funny story because I, I got a bunch of letters from lawyers which was cease and desist letters but I learned, <laughs> I learned some lessons uh, is um, this is legal right <laughs> you're about to suggest. <laughs> this is totally legal because I, okay. I learned I learned what wasn't legal and what is legal so um, I would say you have your app ready to go it's it's you're about to launch it one of the biggest and best things you can do to get your app recognized is really the keywords I mean it's really your, Apple gives you about, I believe it's 100 characters to put in uh, keywords separated by commas um, uh, that what you imagine the user should be searching to find your app. And so placement 
in the results is super important for mm -hmm. if you, you know, if your marketing plan isn't to do this huge kind of campaign, it's to do kind of word of mouth or just visibility things. Uh, what you want your app to be visible. So you want it to show up all, like at the number one search result or at most number like three, number five, uh, because the way these um, apps show up and on the search results, usually people are looking for, say, a, a chat app or some kind of messaging app. They type in, you know, what would they type in? They would type in a messaging app or chat app or mm -hmm. if they didn't put a specific name in. Yeah. Um, and the results they get, they usually just scroll to about the third thing and pick one of the top ones, right? Mm -hmm. So I found out if you kind of can align yourself with some of those big name apps, this is where I learned kind of the, uh, what wasn't legal and what was legal. <laughs> I made a matchmaking app uh, called uh, Match Booth. Um, Match Booth. It's kind of like Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it's, it's a, it was an app for Facebook where... Uh, it scrapes all the Facebook data and tries to find a comp compatibility percentage between people. So you can select two people on your friends list and then you can introduce them to each other mm -hmm. uh, based, and they give you a compatibility score. Uh, actually, Facebook made me take it down three years later, but that's a different story uh, because I needed to update some SDK. But anyway, so, um, so what I did with that app when I first released it was in my search, uh, my search fields or you know, <laughs> keywords, I, I typed in, I saw what the top selling or top downloaded uh, dating yes. app was. And I put that in my search uh, keywords. And I, I was like, okay, match.com or plenty of fish. Right. Yeah. I'll put that in my search term. So when people search for that, my app will show up. This is mm. genius, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> Because I was like, no one knows what your search terms are. Yeah. It's all yeah. private, right? So I did, I did that because I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. I was like, hey, I see other people doing that. And eventually I got a lot of uh, letters from lawyers from Match.com and Plenty of Fish saying, hey, can you please not use our name in your, our copyrighted name in your search uh, or your keywords? And I was like, oh, wow, yeah, that's, I should do that. So I took it out. But, you know, what you want to do is just align yourself with the top results by just putting in really smart keywords. You can even search what your competing apps are using, uh, competitors are using for search terms and just use uh, search terms that people would look for and try to get your app to be, you know, uh, up at the top. If it's not showing up in the first like five results, then you need some new keywords. Right. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if there's even like keyword law for the internet. Does that even do they have the power to be like, hey man, you know, stop having people search your app through our keywords? Like, well, it's 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 a search. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, I don't know. well, it makes sense when your your keyword is a copyright term, like uh, you know, like if I'm using, say, uh, Apple or Coca Cola. Yeah. And I'm making an app that is a competitor. Then it's. I, I could see where legally they could they they own that name, right? Oh, I understand. I understand completely. I just meant. I'm sorry to jump in, but I want to know specifically what the legality is because oh. it's a search term, not necessarily something that you're selling your or branding or a slogan yeah. or anything. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I mean, because it's, it's hidden. It's yeah. You know? It's it's gray area. I mean, they're really just yeah. guessing that you're possibly using their term, right? So. Um, I mean, I don't. I think like that was popular for a while until people found out that 
it wasn't you know it was problematic and uh-huh. uh so that people some people still try to do that but i mean I, I don't suggest that's what you should do i suggest that people should just really pay attention to the keywords that they're using and where their app is showing up in the search terms and there's now there's there's so many different uh websites and services that help you optimize those terms uh to help you show up and what what type of services uh are you talking about uh, people definitely want to know about that if you know oh, so, the top well, of your head uh i you know i there's some services but i don't really like using those services because i feel like i can do that job myself right. or people could do it themselves just by kind of playing with the keywords and seeing where it, it uh it shows up so i haven't really used them in a long time mm-hmm. uh but um I believe, yeah, there's, yeah, if you do a search on Google for app SEO, you'll find hundreds of services. But there's, uh, the, there's the top ones, which I can't think of the name right now because I haven't used them in a long time. Um, but it's, it's, they have a free tool that you can go in there and use, right? So mm-hmm. you can get different things if you pay for, like, service to get a premium service, I think. But there's, all, there's a free tool that, that uh, helps you kind of look at what other people's other leading apps keywords could be and helps you optimize your apps. I just can't think of the name. Yeah, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes for people who are curious uh, oh. once you think of it. You know. But uh, great, man. Those are some great golden nuggets out of your 14 apps that you've made over the span <laughs> of six years. I mean, those are really good advice. Yeah. Um, going between a limited market for the iPhone and iOS, right? Like Apple has complete control over that. And the quote-unquote open source unlimited device market, and I say unlimited because there's so many phones. I have no idea how many Android devices and different types of Android devices are out there. Have you had success in both markets? And if yes or no, do you suggest going in both or focusing on one as a small independent developer, I would say? Uh, so my stance on that is as a small developer, depending on your app and your target audience, I would say, you know, what I do is I stick with one and perfecting one first mm-hmm. and, uh, which is usually Apple. Well, all the time it's been iOS first for me, uh, because, um, just Apple users don't mind spending money. <laughs> it seems mm-hmm. <laughs> in the app store. Uh, but for some reason, on Android, like, you know, there's, there's not the profit margins aren't as large right now, and even though they have a wider kind of market reach, um, uh, so and then also there's a problem of when I when I developed Vanity the first app afterwards I did a port to um, Android, and this was a long time ago. This was like six years ago, so it was in its infancy, and mm-hmm. there were so many problems from fragmentation to. The dev- some devices did not have pinch to zoom, and that was a key, <laughs> uh, you know, user interface mm-hmm. like uh, that. I just couldn't use uh, because some phones in the Android market just didn't have that. So we had to add like uh, zoom in buttons, and it just kind of it, it was a tough place. It wasn't, I say, a failure because the the app made its you know money back, but for the development of the uh, Android version, but. After that experience, I was just like, you know what, I'm 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 gonna wait uh, and come back to Android a little later. And for the shopping app that uh, I'm working on now, it's something that I would definitely want to have on Android because it's a free app, right? And yeah. I don't have to worry about, you know, 
I, I wanted to just spread to as many people as possible that can use this app. I, I'm not so much worried about, you know, if if people are going to purchase the app or not. I just want to, I want as many people that it can help out to help out. And, and it's designed in a way that, you know, now Android doesn't, you don't have to worry about all those things. Like we don't have pinch to zoom or so much fragmentation. You, you, there's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of caught up, I would say, since infancy. So um, I would definitely develop for Android, but I always usually develop for Apple iOS first and then, and then uh, move over to, to making a, a good version for Android. As a professional video game developer, Tav, do you think it's possible to find a lucrative career as an app or game developer for the phones, you know? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, what fascinated, what I was fascinated with about the whole app ecosystem and app market and uh, when it first came out was I have the ability and anyone really who wants to has the ability to make something and distribute it across the world instantly, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's an amazing thing. So yeah, I, I definitely think you make a good product. You have a place to distribute it to everyone that can get their hands on it and have their credit card numbers ready, ready to pay for it. If it's, you know, to be paid for. So yes, I definitely believe so. So uh, we're we're a little bit over our hour, Mark. It's just only because I can listen to Tav all day because of his <laughs> sweet, sexy voice. <laughs> but uh, I Thank mean, <laughs> I want to close in one last question. So, if you were f- to give yourself advice, fourteen apps before, like the one key thing that you want to take away, uh, what would it be? Oh, the one key thing I believe is because from where I've seen so many people fail or just stop is just being persistent really and perseverance you know there's going to be so many roadblocks stuff that you just think oh how am i going to fix this or get around this but as long as you just keep going and you have your goal in sight and just keep going for that and and don't give up um you'll you'll finish it right and you'll learn something from it um it might be different from what you first expected but just persevere through it and like keep really just that's the difference between people who just don't complete something or, or and and fail in a sense is um the people who succeeded failed a million times they just kept going through those failures and learning from them so and they kept going till they reached their goal so i would say perseverance is really one of the biggest things and that and just educating yourself on how to do what the, the things you want to do are yeah, like uh, I, I can relate to that. A lot of your entrepreneurship and just doing personal projects, it's it's a lot more like a marathon. It's not about creating the first success. It's more about how long, how much longer can you last uh, versus your competitor. It's like yeah. yeah, just sticking around and telling that German engineer to say, <laughs> "Shove it, man! I got what yeah, I it, got." You know? It's really just yeah, and with that believing in yourself, really believing in what. Believing that you can do it, right? Because as soon as you start saying, oh, I can't do this, you know, you're already kind of halfway into failure, right? Or, or already there. You're already failed if you're really telling, believing that you can't do it. Right. Uh, it really should be the opposite. You should really, I feel, be as optimistic as you can and say, hey, I can do this. Well, I don't know maybe how I'm going to do it right now, but I can figure out how to do it and it can get done. Because 
you know, so many great things have been done by people who just said, hey, you know what, I think I can do this. I think we can go to Mars. I think we can go to the moon, whatever. Like something that people would never have thought of a million years before that, oh, we're going to be doing that. Right. Just somebody who had an idea and a passion and kept at it. Yeah, man, just be your own cheerleader. Be that person. Mm -hmm. And surround yourself with other people that are as passionate about things, too. It, 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 it's helpful, way more helpful than surrounding by, you know, people who are saying, oh, I don't, you're going to fail, right? <laughs> because it's easier for, I feel, someone who, you know, to see somebody fail. Because a lot of people do fail, so it's easier to just say, oh, this person is trying something hard, they'll probably fail. Yeah, I mean, just surrounding yourself with entrepreneurs, positive people, it just motivates you. And the opposite can happen. If you're surrounded with people who, who, are, who are comfortable uh, in where they are and don't want to progress in any way, which is fine, you're just going to be stuck in that loop, uh, get caught in that little tornado too. So mm -hmm. uh, thank you. Uh, I mean, anything you want to add, Larry? No, I'm just happy that Tav took some time to, to, you know, talk with us. Yeah. So, as we do always on this podcast, at the end, because you've been such a good sport and, you know, you gave everyone listening great advice, now it's our chance to just do one small thing for you that hopefully will help you along your way. Uh, we're going to shut up and let you talk about anything that you want to talk about, any project you want to promote, any, any gift or any sort of thing that you're working on or part of that you just want to have a little bit more publicity about. We've got about 13 listeners, so they're all yours, Tad. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, 13 listeners. I hope that grows more, you know, but I appreciate people for listening. And um, uh, sometimes, you know, I, I go off on tangents, so I, I'm not sure if the stuff I'm talking about is super helpful, but uh, I have actually sat down and been able to compile lessons I've learned over the years of app development, and I wrote it all in this article on Medium, and uh, anyone can go and find it. It's called, uh, if you just search on Medium for my name, Tav Shande, or Crossing One Million Downloads, Lessons Learned from an Indie App Developer. Uh, it goes through kind of what I kind of went through, making my first app to the last app I made and crossing that kind of uh, milestone of 1 million, uh, 1 million downloads. So, and then at the bottom of the article, for those who just want to skip to the bottom, there's a bunch of lists, uh, there's a list of a bunch of different resources from who to go to if you need to find uh, really awesome app engineers, like in programmers, to artists, to um, just different resources. Uh, there's a lot of different resources that I, I learned worked really well, and I listed all those there. So. Um, I guess that and uh, be on the lookout for some really cool projects I have coming up. I, some of them are uh, early to talk about, but I'm really excited about them. I'm doing a Kickstarter soon, uh, so look out for that uh, uh, for a hardware project. So I'm, I'm transitioning from software into hardware, so uh, just trying that out, something I always wanted to do. And uh, a couple more apps coming up um, that I'm excited about. and. One is Zupa, which is a, a shopping app. Think Instagram meets eBay. Wow. <laughs> and uh, then there's uh, an a actual selfie kind of touch-up makeup app that was a better version of kind of what I learned from making the app earlier, the makeup apps earlier, and making a really nice kind of suite. Uh, but yeah, so those things and... You know, doing up, trying to do a lot of art on the side still, and work on my 
work on you know keeping my skills sharp and cool stuff and updating my portfolio and everything so exciting times oh definitely man definitely and um yeah that is i guess that's a wrap right we are we crossed the threshold tav is advertised and told everyone what he wants to do so since i'm the one that's talking right now i'm gonna be the first one to leave thank you very much for listening to the podcast we appreciate the support tell your friends tell your mom tell your teacher game dev unchained this is larry charles i'm out this is brandon fan i'll see you guys next week this is tav have fun that's a wrap. All right, cool, man. Tab, thank you. All right, cool, man. Tab, thank you. All right, cool, man. Tab, thank you. All right, cool, man. Tab, thank you.